this is Karis Ryan and welcome to Teach Me in 20. Each week I'll release a new podcast where I get to speak with awesome people who have something new to teach me that I know nothing about. If, like me, you're naturally curious about everything, this could be the podcast for you. So come along for the ride. It'll only cost you 20 minutes. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of Teach Me in 20. Today, our guest is Michelle John Janellis. Michelle is the Director of Centre Operations at Melbourne Centre for Behavioural Change, and she was formerly the Deputy Director of the WA Cancer Prevention Unit. Yeah. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So, in terms of learning about people's behaviour... Tell us, what have you sort of seen over your years? So there are quite a few theories out there that suggest that if people sort of intend to change their behaviour or intend to want to engage in a behaviour, then they will. So I guess it's more a matter for us as researchers to figure out, well, how can we get people to change? How can we get people to make the healthy choice, for example? And a lot of the theory is around sort of individual choices. So the more people are aware, for example, of the harms associated with smoking, then the more likely they are to want to quit, for example. Um, But then also what we're interested in is not just an individual making the right choice, but making sure that there are systems in place so that the right choice is sort of the easy choice as well. So we want to really be targeting advertising and marketing and all of those sort of things. Is it frustrating though when you do release all this information and it's out there for people and they're still doing the same let's say bad behavior, like, you know, smoking. It, it is It is tricky, but at the same time, you know, like I just mentioned, the, the environment needs to be conducive to them being able to make the right choice as well. So people, you know, for instance, smokers, they know that smoking is bad for them, but if they're surrounded by other people who smoke or they're surrounded or they're in an environment where smoking is readily accepted, then obviously it is going to be tricky for them to quit no matter how much they believe that it's hard for them. So that's why the policy policy um, that we advocate for is super important as well. So you mentioned before as well, is advertising playing a a large part in people's, you know, addictions and behaviours? Absolutely, yeah. So we've done a lot of work, particularly in the alcohol arena as well. So, you know, different loopholes that exist. So we know that alcohol advertising um, is related to... uh, alcohol consumption in in young kids particularly, they're really vulnerable to this. So although there are sort of some policies in place or legislation in place that doesn't allow advertising of alcohol products during daytime hours, um, there is a loophole in that you can uh, play an alcohol ad during the footy. Right, so there are certain um, AFL matches that that allow that. So one of the recommendations that we're trying to make is we should be banning advertising during um, any sort of hours that kids might be exposed to to these things because it certainly does play a part, not just alcohol advertising, but junk food advertising as well. We know that's a huge role in um, sort of the obesity epidemic. What do you think has got more of an influence? Is it the advertising that kids are seeing or is it the influence of their parents and other environmental factors? It all sort of comes hand in hand. So the kids are obviously seeing the advertising, but also parents are seeing advertising too, right? Adults, Mm. we're all seeing the advertising. We're all getting, even though we don't think that the advertising affects us, and if we look at the research, most people say, oh, no, 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 advertising doesn't affect me. But it totally (laughs) does, right? So not only the kids seeing the advertising, the parents are, they're maybe, 
you know, having an extra drink that they wouldn't normally have. So the kids are seeing the parents drinking. They're also seeing the advertising. So it all sort of gets messed up. But what it does create, whether it's parents, whether it's the marketing culture, whether it's friends, is it creates a social norm for drinking um, and back in the 60s for tobacco use. So it's that social norms behavior that we really need to be targeting as well. It's really hard to tell one person to change if everyone around them isn't. Mm. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So a lot of this stuff has, like smoking, it's been grandfathered in. That must pose a problem as well because we're just, and especially alcohol, everyone's got it ingrained that, oh, this is fine and, you know, when our newer stuff comes on the market as well, Mm. that's taboo but alcohol's fine or, like, I guess there's this topic as well at the moment of marijuana, medicinal marijuana, and people are like, well, why isn't that legal? And yet alcohol and smoking is. So how much of an impact does that play in your work as well, having to change people's perceptions? Yeah, it is certainly really one of the, probably one of the hardest things about what we do is that, for instance, in the case of e-cigarettes, people are saying, well, you're making e-cigarettes illegal, but tobacco cigarettes are legal and tobacco cigarettes are more harmful. And as you just said, well, it's, it's, they've been grandfathered in. Like if, if normal cigarettes were to be approved today, they just never would be. We just wouldn't allow. alcohol as well. It would never be allowed. Completely, (laughs) completely. So definitely having to change the perception is hard, especially around alcohol. And, you know, I'll readily admit that us researchers don't make things particularly easy either. So, you know, one of the things we always hear is, oh, well, you know, I'm going to die of something or, you know, last week you you told me bacon caused cancer. So it's really tricky when you do have us researchers and also the media doesn't play a big part as well. So the media might grab sort of one headline story about, you know, the bacon causing cancer. And that really sets us back because then people go, well, if bacon causes cancer and you're telling me alcohol causes cancer, everything causes cancer. I'm just going to eat and drink as per normal because what doesn't? So it is hard having to also temper the, so that the media storm around a lot of this sort of stuff and actually presenting the evidence in a way that people understand. Yeah. How does Australia rate compared to the rest of the world in terms of its um, acceptance of new research that comes out, its ability to change, its own behaviours and addiction? So certainly Australia has been at the forefront of tobacco control um, and we continue to be in some areas. So for instance, with the plain packaging, we were the first country to uh, introduce plain packaging, oh, which okay. has just been yeah incredibly amazing. The research that's come out about that has been amazing. A lot of other countries in the world are using the Australian model to argue for it. So Australia was... Um, and I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, was sued by the tobacco industry for plain packaging and, and claiming that uh, it would harm sales um, and they lost that they lost that legal battle. So another, so that means that all the other countries in the world have seen that and gone, oh, well, we're going to do the same thing as Australia. But again, there are certainly ways that we can improve. There is always ways that we can improve. Um, so tobacco control, we've definitely been at the forefront. Alcohol's a completely different story. So um, for, some, for some reason, and it's likely due to the lobbying that the alcohol industry does quite heavily of, of politicians, there is a reluctance to really do anything with alcohol in Australia. And same with sort of the big the big food industry, junk food advertising and, and any junk any sort of junk food. So um, there's st- we still have a long way to go in terms of in terms of those sort of industries and making the government recognise that it's not just, you know, big tobacco. We we're also dealing with big alcohol and we're dealing with um, big food. 
Why are the governments reluctant to change on alcohol and on food? Uh, so both of those industries are very powerful industries, right? They're very rich industries. They've got a lot of money. They employ, you know, heaps of people to lobby the government for their for their case. And, and the government can often bow to, to pressure to allow them to come to the table. So one very clear example is the Health Star rating system, which, you know, has been implemented in the last few years on packaged food. So one of the reasons you'll hear a little bit of criticism of the Health Star rating system, for instance, the Milo thing, people are saying, well, how can Milo be five stars, etc." And what actually happened is that the government allowed the industry to be at the table and to have a say in mm. the Health Star rating system. So it wasn't just us public health people who were there saying that. It's It was actually big food saying, oh, well, we want you to do this and we want you to do that. If they hadn't been allowed at the table to begin with, we would have had a, a more legitimate system. So a lot of the problems that we're having at the moment with the Health Star rating system is because they were allowed at the table to begin with. Okay. Yeah. And is that sort of where we've spoken a bit outside of this and the fact that big chain corporations can influence studies. So a lot of the studies people hear about, you know, oh, smoking only does this or food actually, this type of food only does, you know, X, Y, Z. It's funded by these massive corporations. Yeah, absolutely. So certainly, uh, definitely the big tobacco, big alcohol and big food industries, you definitely, any sort of research that comes out about any of those things, you always need to check the conflict of interest. So we do know, for instance, with electronic cigarettes, that about a third of all research that comes out on e-cigarettes is funded by the vaping industry or the authors have some sort of a conflict of interest. Um, Less so with the tobacco industry these days. So we're finding that people have sort of drawn a hard line and won't accept tobacco industry funds. But for some reason, the vaping industry has been allowed to slip through. We certainly know that there are certainly one politician um, in Australia who I won't name, who does receive money from the tobacco industry, which is really concerning. And so that's something that we're chatting to government about now is that politicians should not be accepting donations from certainly the tobacco industry. But I would argue that that should be taken further with the alcohol in the food industries. But yes, these any time you read an article, uh, peer-reviewed or otherwise, that's come out, always check the conflict of interest statement. Well, I was going to say, what would you like to see to be done? I mean, should media be able to release those, so to say, you could say fabricated results mm-hmm. because it's influencing a consumer... So what would you like to be seen done in terms in yeah, that regard? Yeah, I mean, if obviously if I had my way, I'd like you know, research that does have a significant conflict of interest. Obviously, there's going to be some research that always has some sort of conflict of interest. It's just more up to the reader to decide whether they should then trust the results or not. Um, You know, you don't want to impinge on freedom of speech. So people, for example, who are very pro-e-cigarettes have the right to state their case, but I would like to see more accurate media reporting. So if the, you know, if a media article comes out, about the pros and cons of e-cigarettes, for example, stating the conflict of interest up front of any commentators that are in that article, just so, you know, readers are aware. Readers are smart enough to make up their own minds, but they can't make up their own minds if they haven't been informed. So we're all about informed consent. And it's the same thing with with alcohol, for instance. We're not arguing that um, alcohol should be banned, but what we're saying is people have a right to know what they're consuming. Alcohol causes cancer. People have a right to know that, and the alcohol industry isn't telling it that. So we're not here to tell you what to do, but we want you to have the available information so that you know what you can do for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. What's gained the most legs in terms of all these areas, tobacco, alcohol, food? What has surprised you and just grown exponentially that you just would never have expected as a health expert? 
I guess something that we're really concerned about at the moment is the electronic cigarettes because we have come so far with tobacco and, and, you know, with the plain packaging and all of that sort of stuff. So the fact that there's these potentially, uh, well, harmful, they are harmful, not potentially harmful, they are harmful devices on the market that have the ability to undermine just all the decades of hard work. It, it can be quite frustrating at times when I am doing sort of media interviews why I'm even talking about this. It's like, really, guys, this is a chemical. How, how are we talking about this? It should just be a no-brainer that, you know, we need to wait for more information and these need to be independently tested. So certainly e-cigarettes are a massive concern at the moment. Um, in terms of everything else, we seem to be tracking along very slowly, but at least in some ways in the right direction. So for instance, with big food, um, you know, we, there's certainly a lot more we can do with sports sponsorship. So obviously KFC support the cricket and we would love that to just not exist anymore. So if I mean, when you think about it, back in the 80s, tobacco companies used to support uh, and sponsor AFL teams, and they no longer do that. So we'd like to see that for the the food industry as well. Yeah. I did want to ask and focus a little bit more on e-cigarettes, because that is a very big area that you've focused on Mm. or done a lot of research in. For people that don't know, because it doesn't seem to be a really widely known topic at the moment, um, at least amongst my friend circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people that don't know, what is an e-cigarette and how does it work? So that's a very good question because e-cigarettes are unlike tobacco cigarettes in that they are infinitely customizable. So someone might have one device and it looks completely different to the device that someone else has because they have modified it and, and the different parts of it can be basically put together. Mm-hmm. In essence, it's just a metal device that contains an e-liquid or e-juice and it contains at the very least a coil and a battery. So the battery, when you turn the device on, the battery heats up the coil, which heats up the liquid and produces a vapor but then obviously people can add mods to that modulators so they get sort of different varying amounts of the e-juice when they smoke it people can put double coils in for the heating so like I said infinitely customizable uh, but at the basic level it's just a battery that then heats up a, a e-liquid to contain um, to produce vapor and the e-liquid does that contain the nicotine or you can also get put is that separate so you can get e-liquid that contains nicotine yeah. that um, is illegal to sell in Australia. So nicotine um, e-liquid is completely illegal to sell in Australia, but of course you can import it from from overseas if you have a prescription from your doctor. But yes, you can ta- you can have e-juice that doesn't contain nicotine and contains um, flavourings or the just the other chemicals that come without the nicotine. So yes, there have been reports in the media recently, as you've just pointed out, around people can add nicotine to the juices, which is obviously really concerning because, you know, how much nicotine should you be putting in? Um, And then, you know, exposure to nicotine, toxic substance as well. So there was a recent case in in Victoria of a a baby who who died because, you know, unfortunately, you know, mum turned around for a few minutes, baby got stuck into mum's e-liquid e-juices and got nicotine poisoning and died. So that's one of the first cases in Australia of, of a child dying of nicotine poisoning. Um, there've been a couple of cases in the US. Um, so that's why obviously we don't want to encourage people to be mixing their own e-liquids. Because yeah. And just on that flavorings for people that don't know, there's over 8,000 flavorings from like cream brulee, bubble gum, mm. and that has led to a lot of kids smoking. Mm. So 
Tell us some of the concerns for young people who are smoking e-cigarettes. So the biggest concern is, particularly if they're using nicotine e-cigarettes, is that the um, brain doesn't actually stop developing until you get it to about 2021, and even some studies have found up to about 25. So one of the concerns is, well, if young adults and adolescents are using um, e-liquids that contain nicotine, that nicotine is stunting the developing brain, and it pretty much affects um, what we call the the prefrontal cortex. So it affects your memory uh, and it affects your attention. So really concerning because these kids have, you know, great potential and and could go on to do amazing things. But if they're, you know, consuming nicotine in in high school um, and in young adulthood, it's really affecting their ability to to perform academically and in a whole bunch of areas. So obviously nicotine is is concerning. But even if you're using an e-liquid that doesn't contain nicotine, the flavorings themselves have actually been found to be the most harmful in terms of causing the respiratory diseases that we're seeing. Oh, really? Yeah. So nicotine is harmful in that it's addictive um, for young for young kids, but it's actually the flavourings that are the most concerning. So we've, we've you know there's the phrase popcorn lungs, so just the affecting the lungs and um, the oily droplets that then just sort of solidify and cause those illnesses that we're now seeing over in the US. So, yeah, I mean that's how sort of I became aware of it. The few hospitalizations and death has mm. been a death in the US. Yeah, um, and there is the concern, obviously, in Australia. Mm-hmm. What are some of the arguments? And you've mentioned a few, but why are people against e-cigarettes? Because um, a lot of people argue from the other side that it's safer, it's a cleaner alternative to tobacco Mm -hmm. smoking. People have quit smoking through e-cigarettes. So just tell us a bit about the other side of... Yeah, from yeah sure. So this is probably one of the areas where that I've seen in a long time where the debate on e-cigarettes is just hugely polarizing. So you definitely get people who are very for e-cigarettes. And as you've just mentioned, they talk about it being great for smoking cessation and helping people quit regular tobacco cigarettes or reduce tobacco cigarette consumption. Yeah. And yeah. There's they, polarization throughout the whole medical industry. So that's why yeah. it's so, it's, it's conflicting from like a lame person like me who's like, well, which, I mean, it, people will make their own decisions, but which is right and, you know, so hearing evidence from both sides. Yeah, right? no, absolutely. And we're confused as well, right? So, you know, a report will come out one day saying that they are good for smoking cessation and then a report will come out the next day saying, well, actually, they're pretty much the same as a normal nicotine replacement patch, for example. So why not just use the patch which we know has been approved in Australia? Okay. Why would you, you know... Um, advocate for something that's not been approved yet. So certainly, um, yes, there's a smoking cessation argument. There's the fact that the, well, there's the argument that they're less harmful than traditional cigarettes. At this point in time, the evidence suggests that, yeah, probably they are better for you than tobacco cigarettes. But unfortunately, that's just based on the evidence we have right now. We don't know what the long-term evidence is because they haven't been around for that long. So back in the early days of, of cigarettes, um, you know, there were adver- advertisements saying, oh, doctors recommend smoking camel lights because they're, they're better for you. And then, you know, 20 years later, everyone's getting cancer. So we don't want that to happen with e-cigarettes. Um, in terms of the, you know, again, for lack of a better phrase, evidence against e-cigarettes, obviously there's the safety issue. Because they're not legal in Australia, um, there isn't any, and they haven't been tested independently, there's no formal labelling. So we know that uh, based on research, 
it's illegal to sell nicotine e-liquids in Australia, but that doesn't mean that people aren't selling them. So you, a recent research conducted in WA found that about 60% of e-liquids that are being sold in Western Australia um, of the sample they collected said that it didn't have nicotine, but when we tested in a lab, it did have nicotine. Okay. Right. So people are consuming something that they have no idea about. In New South Wales, they did a similar study and they found that 75% of um, things that didn't contain or were supposedly didn't contain nicotine actually did. So there's the labelling issues, of course. There's the health issues. Um, so we know that they contain carcinogens. We know that they contain heavy metals. So um, the link between that and cancer, there hasn't been any established cancer cases yet, but we're certainly seeing um, cardiovascular disease come up, obviously the respiratory illnesses. And of one of the interesting or one of my angles in my research is the appeal to youth and the young adults and the potential for this to lead to just a renormalization of smoking behaviours. Our research most recently did show that even if you've never smoked a cigarette in your life, and we're talking about young adults here, that if they're using an e-cigarette, there are an increased risk of then becoming uh, smokers. Um, so definitely in support of that gateway hypothesis that these kids who maybe would have never smoked uh, might actually be at increased risk of smoking because of that. Because one thing that shocked me, I coached some students and one guy was like, yeah, I can buy a vape in my school bathroom. Yeah. That's got to, to hear that is got to be pretty disappointing from your end. Yeah, absolutely. And it's in, it's interesting in that, you know, you, you, we do hear those stories and, and I was at a meeting last night and they were talking about sort of, you know, mentioning similar stories. And I, I guess I don't want to, this is definitely concerning, but we also don't want to sort of freak out too much. There are always going to be kids who are selling anything in the bathroom, Dexies or, or whatever it is. This is just sort of the latest thing that, that kids are selling. My concern is more where are they accessing this to begin with? Um, and I'm not putting blame on parents. Is it parents? Is it older friends? Um, are they able to go to a vape store and just, you know, buy it over the counter? Is it secondary supply like, you know, it usually is with alcohol? So how are they getting access to these um, would be my concern. I suppose it doesn't help as well online. You know, you can buy anything there. Yeah. So they just whip down, you yeah. know, mum and dad's credit card. Absolutely. So there is restriction on um, importations, but because uh, it doesn't have to go through customs, so there's really um, there's no enforcement at the border at the moment in Australia on this. So and customs doesn't have to open up the package and, and see what's in it. So it, it's very easy to it can be easy to get through at the moment. So what would you like seen to be done? Perfect world um, in both terms of, you know, kids and adults using e-cigarettes. So I think the, one of the next steps would be to ban the flavourings. And, um, you know, there's some certainly some good news coming out of the US suggesting that they are going to go ahead and, and ban flavourings. Um, and so the only e-cigarette flavourings that will be available would be the traditional ones and menthol, which is exactly what we've done with tobacco cigarettes. So I think Australia could certainly take that step. Obviously, we need better enforcement at the border of the nicotine importation, um, but federally legislated um, regulations around the flavoured would be you know, what I would like to see. At the moment, it's really tricky because it varies by state. And so then you get the argument made by the vaping industry that, hey, someone in WA is disadvantaged because they can't sell 
any e-cigarette because it's illegal, but someone in New South Wales can, and that's just not fair. So if we get the federal legislation, then that would be great. Um, and also GP training. So GP and I guess law enforcement training uh, training as well. So GPs really should know that these products haven't been approved as a therapeutic good by the Therapeutic Goods Administration of Australia. So there's just no need and, and no reason for, for a GP to be recommending this device that hasn't been tested for safety just yet. Which would surprise people because if some, that something is being sold, people, I think, would naturally assume, oh, it's safe for on the market. Yeah, absolutely. And I was at a meeting last night where this exact thing was discussed and you know, what we're thinking is that the vaping industry doesn't want this approved as a therapeutic good because then they're restricted to the testing and how much nicotine and exactly what additives they could be putting into these devices. So that's why they haven't probably submitted it to the TGA just yet because they actually just would just prefer this to be what's called a consumer good and then they're less likely, well, they just don't have to pass the same sort of test. So there's Um, less regulations there under. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, given that it hasn't been approved as a therapeutic good, yeah, GP training to ensure that, you know, there are a whole bunch of other things on the market that are just as effective as e-cigarettes that have been around and have been tested for ages, so other nicotine replacement therapies. Um, But yeah, law enforcement as well. I was at a meeting on Tuesday where the concern was raised about you know, using uh, e-cigarettes at the beach. You know, someone was saying, well, I was at the beach the other day and there was an e-cigarette there. And then someone else was saying, well, you know, I was at a store the other day and someone was using it inside and why aren't people picking it up on this? And I think this comes back to the confusion earlier is what's allowed, what's not allowed. So I think if we can you know, actually make the regulations really clear and tell, for example, law enforcement, no, it's illegal and and you can find someone for using an e-cigarette. So how does the product get tested? Because as we talked about earlier, there can be research done and it's sort of a bit biased. Mm. So whose responsibility is, is it the government that needs to go, okay, we're going to get this tested or is it therapeutic? Therapeutic Goods you know, Association. So the e-cigarette companies have to lodge this product as a therapeutic product to the TGA and the TGA then tests it. So until they do that... Until they do that, there's... Stuck. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's basically like a stalemate because yes. they probably won't do that. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So they just want it treated as a consumer good, um, which is why they're being sort of allowed to uh, have the flavourings. So we're just sort of doing what we can to, ban, you know, for instance, try and ban the flavourings, try and ban nicotine, but there's nothing we can do from, uh, you know, later on down the track um, if this sort of, as you said, this stalemate continues. So we're, we're trying to, well, the government is trying to, legalise this and ban it and regulate it the best way it can given the fact that they haven't the e-cigarette industry hasn't put it through the TGA for testing because they don't want it to. It's just that whole getting the different viewpoints and sort of letting people decide Mm. and maybe changing, not changing their perception but if they didn't know some part, you know, some information and now they do and maybe think twice about their behaviours. Hope so, (laughs) yep. Awareness is the first step. Knowledge is power. Fantastic. Yeah. Michelle, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been fun. See you guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Teach Me in 20. If you did, and if you even just learned one thing, make sure you subscribe so each week you can learn something new with me. Bye.